The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. Hey, everyone. Great to have you all along. I have a, uh, I don't know, a bit of a frog in my throat. You hear the little squeakiness? I don't know what that's about. Did we do an extra amount of talking last night? Was the conversation a little louder than usual last night? Is that the reason that I have like this voice thing going on? I mean, we know this has happened every once in a while. Um, it always happens if I have a band gig over the weekend, but band gigs are basically non-existent right now. So it's not that. So I wonder, I must, I must have talked excitedly last night when we, we had our uh, guest Susan Messino on as we were talking about uh, what, uh, music and rock and roll legends and ghosts and paranormal activity. It was a lot of fun having that conversation with Susan. And tonight will be no different. We've got a great show with returning guest Rob Shelsky on tap for everyone tonight. Uh, tonight we'll be talking about UFOs. We might touch on time travel. We might touch on cryptids. See, the thing about Rob is that he, he works and writes about all of these paranormal topics, so we can talk about just about anything. We'll definitely talk about the mysteries of Mars. We'll talk about Mothman, which is one of my favorite topics. And whatever, you know, we'll see what else we can uh, touch on during the course of the evening. But it will be a lot of fun. It will be a great, it will be a great um, discussion with a returning guest. Looking forward to it. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel and the Twitch channel. Uh, You can find both by searching my name, J.V. Johnson. And when you subscribe, you become part of our digital community, and we appreciate that as well. Look for the podcast on all major podcast distribution points, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. I think we're on iHeart. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I have to check on that. Uh, we we are, we had an application to have the podcast there, and I, I'm not sure if it's been approved yet or not, but uh, we should be there soon if we're not there yet. So... But regardless of whether we're there or not, you can find the podcast in so many places. We get, we get thousands of downloads every every single day. And I appreciate all of our podcast lister, listeners. Thank you so much for supporting us that way. Uh, also, speaking of support, if you're so inclined, we have a Patreon page that helps us support the program. It helps us help you support the program. And if you go to Patreon and search for Joe Haw, J. O-H-A-W, there's a way to support on a, on a subscription basis. I think it can be as little as like $2 a month. That's that's not a lot. So if you're so inclined, we'd appreciate you doing that. All right, that's all I need to say for now. Let's go to break. Let's get Rob Shelsky on the line. Let's begin our conversation tonight about uh, UFOs, Mothman, Mars, and uh, much, much more. A lot to talk about tonight on the program. Hey, gang, JV here. You know that great nutrition can lead to a great life. Healthy, happy, rewarding. But that nutrition simply cannot be found in the foods we eat alone. Take a minute and assess your health, the way you feel, the way your family feels, the way your kids feel. Health is more than just feeling well. It's also making sure you have a strong immune system, especially in these trying times. Vitamins aren't enough alone. In fact, they have to be the right vitamins, the right supplements made from the most effective ingredients. Otherwise, they don't do the job. It makes the world of a difference. There's a new website you can visit that'll help you navigate these ideas and guide you to better health. There's no obligation. Just visit MyHealthRocksNow.com. That's MyHealthRocksNow.com and start feeling better today. 
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Uh, again, welcome back to the show. We've got a really special program for you tonight. Anytime we have one of our guests return to the program, particularly a guest where we had so much to talk about, we generally don't get through all the topics with guests like this. And our guest tonight, Rob Shelsky, is no exception. He's an on-camera UFO expert. He's also a researcher of all things paranormal. And when I say that, I mean it to the letter. Rob, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you with us. Well, it's great to be back. Yeah, you know, kind of in the introduction, I said, you know, you're a researcher of all things paranormal. If your volume of uh, work uh, in the form of books is any indication, you really do cover so many topics that would be considered paranormal and uh, somewhat unique in many cases. How did you develop such a general interest in so many paranormal topics? It was a sort of step-by-step progression. First, it was UFOs. I got very interested in that. Then I got interested interested in the idea that um, uh, other things might be associated with them, and it was just sort of moving from one thing to the next. I, I mean, everything from Mothman to the idea that uh, of time travel, it, it all intrigued me. Did you have any experiences in your childhood that may have uh, piqued that curiosity? You see something in the sky one night or have any other kind of experience? Uh, no. The only thing I had that was strange for me was a predilection for anything about ancient Rome from the time I was about six or seven. And also, I uh, had an argument at the age of eight with my father that UFOs were real. I remember that he absolutely refused to believe it, and I went in my bedroom and cried because he wouldn't believe it. Now, why that was important to an eight-year-old, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I guess it's that starry-eyed uh, time in our life where we, you know, we believe in a lot of things. Um, you know, uh, gift-giving coming from the North Pole is just one of those things that we believe at that age. Um, but it's almost a, a, like a, a bit of an... Uh, an optimism within you that wants to believe that something like this is real at that age. So, of course, you're going to fight for it, right? I suppose, although I never was much on Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, but these things just struck me as being real. I'm not sure quite why. I'm not quite sure why I had such a fascination with ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even as a seven-year-old, when I was in Australia as a kid, I built the city of ancient Rome in a giant sandbox we had at the school across from my street. Oh, wow. And then it started to rain, and I remember standing there crying and saying, poor Rome, poor Rome. Now, what seven-year-old does that? Wow. Uh, as you look back on it, why do you think you were so passionate about not just UFOs, but particularly ancient Rome? I don't know. Maybe I was psycho. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to explain. I, I still don't know why that, but I've always had an interest in, uh, interest in Rome and the idea of empire, especially the Roman Empire. And I've always had an interest in UFOs since I was a little kid, and it only developed over time. I, w- I mean, with all the various disciplines that you've studied and written about as it comes to paranormal phenomena, one of them that comes up on this program often, and I'm not sure how much time you've spent on it, is this idea of past lives. Uh, do you think there might be anything like that at play in, in your fascination with particularly ancient Rome? 
Uh, it's possible. My new book due out this Friday is uh, called Quantum Immortality, the Hypersoul, and the Afterlife. And there's a whole chapter devoted just to the idea of reincarnation. Interesting. Interesting. You you know, given the fact that you've written about so many different topics, uh, with and you're, and you're a prolific writer, you're constantly writing and, and publishing, uh, is there any one particular topic that you enjoy writing about? I'd, I'd have to assume it might be UFOs because that was your first interest with the paranormal, but maybe not. What's your favorite to write about? Well, it is UFOs, but also the idea of UFOs and the moon. The uh, idea might be a, a hollow moon. It's always intrigued me. At first, I absolutely didn't believe it. But uh, over time, as I checked out the facts, it became more and more an idea that it could be possible. I'm not saying it actually is hollow, but there seems to be a good deal of evidence to point in that direction. Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, what is the prevailing theory for support of the idea of a hollow moon and, and not so much the evidence per se yet we'll get into that but just what is what is the moon if it's if it's hollow well if it's hollow it's probably a, a spaceship that's been modified or uh, an asteroid or a large or a moonlet that's been altered to allow for it to make an inhab- uh, habitation for aliens the um, idea was first discussed by uh the two Soviet scientists, Sherbakov and Vasin, and they came up with the idea of the spaceship moon theory. And they were members of the uh, Soviet Science Academy. These were not nuts. So you said that you, when you first heard of these ideas, you dismissed them or you didn't believe them. But as you, you kept an open mind, which a good researcher always does, and uh, you started to hear things that made you reconsider your position. What was the evidence that was making you uh, maybe change your mind? Well, it was gradual, but it was uh, you know a constant sort of thing. The um, idea that the moon was hollow came on me bit by bit. First of all, the density of the moon is too low for its size. And if it's from the Earth's mantle made of the same rock, how do we account for that? Secondly, the moon rings like a bell when it's struck, as in an object falling on it, and it can ring for up to half an hour. And uh, one scientist at NASA even said that it gave rise to the idea the moon might be hollow. Seismographs on the moon record moonquakes, but they don't go all the way through the moon like they do on Earth. And and one scientist said it was as if the core was made of something that can't penetrate it, or there's no core at all. So gradually I came onto this idea that the moon might be hollow. So let's assume for a second that it is hollow. Let's assume for a second that it is, as you said, uh, a a disguised spacecraft of some form. Is it still operable? Is it still a functioning spacecraft disguised as uh, as a moon? Well, that I'm not sure of. I mean, it may just be a terraformed moon, except that it's terraformed on the inside instead of the outside, and it may have a, be a base or have an alien race living there. There's been lots of evidence of strange things sighted on the moon for the last 500 years. NASA commissioned a report on it, and uh, it's called Transient Lunar Phenomenon, and there has been a great deal of evidence of odd things happening on what's supposed to be an airless dead world, things we can't account for. There are uh, flat Flashes of blue light, there are beacons, there are tracks, things have been seen moving on the moon, there are mists, there are, um, well, you, uh, lightning, you name it, there's all sorts of odd phenomena, which shouldn't exist on the moon at all, but it does. Yeah, let's talk... And even a- now, even now these things are occurring. Let's talk about a few of those things. Um, if objects have been seen moving across the surface of the moon, uh, what is the... Uh, 
I guess I would call the official explanation for that kind of phenomena. Does does this the part of science that would not even consider the idea of the moon being hollow have an explanation for something like that? Well, the um, objects moving on the moon there were a couple of them, and they left tracks. And um, but that was about thirty, forty years ago. So mm-hmm. current scientists don't think much of it one way or the other, or they tend to ignore it. Now the blue sparks uh, and uh, beacons and pulses. They're more persistent. In fact, there's so many of them around the Aristarchus crater. Its nickname is the Blue Gem. And that is a fact that the scientists themselves named it. Do they have an explanation for it that doesn't support the hollow moon concept or the fact that this could be uh, some type of artificial satellite? Scientists try to reject a lot of these ideas. I don't know how they can because the evidence for it is so common and has been so persistent for 500 years. But, you know, they'll come up with almost any kind of excuse for it. But they have absolutely no basis, in fact, for their uh, theories. There is... They're just wild. Like, for instance, the idea of the, the blue gem, Aristarchus, they say, well, perhaps it's the sunlight as the sun's coming over the crater that's causing it. But they can't explain how or why and why it's only Aristarchus and uh, one other crater. Uh, yet the moon's littered with them. But this goes on and on and on. It's almost as if if they can't uh, explain it rationally, then they just sort of ignore it. Yeah, that seems to be the case in a lot of disciplines. If they can't explain it, they just look the other way uh, and hope nobody asks the question, right? Yeah, that's it. And uh, the idea that the moon might be hollow isn't a new one. It was new for me when I sort of turned into it. But there's a lot of things that we don't know about the moon. Why is its orbit so circular? Why is it where where the orbit is that it creates perfect uh, eclipses for us on Earth? Why does it also have a vernal and autumnal uh, position for equinoxes on Earth? This is unheard of. No other moon in our solar system will do that. We'll have a solar eclipse. They're just not the right distance or the right size. Also, there's the fact of the um, craters on the moon. The small craters are fairly deep, as they would be when hit by a meteor. The large uh, craters are quite shallow, as if something hit, penetrated so far in and hit some kind of a shell, interior shell, and bounced back which caused the craters to have a flattened um, interior. And also we found uh, elements on the moon that shouldn't be there. There's titanium, there's neptunium-237, which has a very short half-life of like a million or a little over a million years. It should have been long gone from the moon ages ago. It is on Earth. Why is it still on the moon? There's a lot of helium-3 on the moon, which, by the way, would be a great source of fuel for nu- uh, nuclear reactors. But... On the moon, it's in abundance, but on Earth, it's almost non-existent. And yet the moon's supposed to have come from the Earth. So why is it so different in so many ways? Interesting. I don't know where you fall on the idea that maybe uh, the moon landings weren't necessarily what they were reported as. But regardless, let's say um, you know that that isn't a question. We went to the moon. Do you think that, that NASA discovered this information while they were there? And maybe that's why we haven't gone back in all these years? Well, I think something happened while we were on the moon the first time with Apollo 11. There's been reports from um, space shuttles, the space station, of sightings of UFOs constantly. And uh, I remember seeing a uh, live feed from the shuttle in Earth orbit. And the commander was a woman, and she was floating there in the cabin. And she looked out the window, and she said, there's that alien spacecraft again. And then immediately the sound was cut. 
And she was wow. still there, still floating, and she was still talking, but you couldn't hear her. They'd switched to a private channel. So I don't know what that was all about. but uh, And also, very often with the space station, when something odd is sighted near it, all of a sudden you get this blue screen. It's like they cut the seed. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. That's happened quite often where there'll be an anomalous uh, object floating through the field of view, and then either it, you know, it changes view or, or it gets cut off completely. Uh, that seems to happen too commonly to be coincidence. Yeah, it's a little too often. Either they have very lousy communication gear <laughs> or they're doing it on purpose. Yeah, what do you, and you, I mean, I'm assuming you believe it's being done on purpose. Well, I do. I think they're covering something up. I think they have to. I, I don't know why they want to cover it up, but they apparently have the reasons, and they're doing it. And I think the reasons might be that they have no control over the situation, and they don't want to alarm us here on Earth. Right. Let's. Uh, I want to get into a, a more uh, a detailed UFO conversation here in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to, again, look at this idea of, of the vast number of topics that you've addressed and researched as a paranormal researcher. Over the course of the years that you've been doing this, Rob, have you seen technology in any discipline improved to the point where you now look at something that uh, may have been uncertain for a lot of years and can say, mm, yeah, we, we have to assume now that that never existed. And one thing that comes to mind for me that I think is getting close to that point is this, the Loch Ness Monster. Either it never existed or it just no longer exists. Uh, and that may not be true. Some people may be upset by me saying that. I'm just using it as, as an example. Anything come to mind like that for you? with the Loch Ness Monster, just recently they did some radar scans and there was some large object about 60 feet long that they caught on screen there. They don't know what it was, oh, wow. but it was there for about five minutes. So maybe the Loch Ness Monster does exist. You know, we don't know yet. Right. Uh, lack of proof is not evidence that something doesn't exist. It's just that's not how science works. You have to prove it doesn't exist. I mean, you can say that the sky is, is not real, but uh, you have to prove that. So it's that sort of thing. And also in other fields, uh, it's the same way. Uh, uh, an absence of proof does not guarantee that the thing doesn't exist or does exist for that matter. And what I find with scientists is that they tend to shy away from certain subjects. They don't even want to deal with it. Most scientists won't deal with UFOs. They simply don't want to. But you're asking about technology. Our technology has improved. We have faster jets. We have better radar. And if you want a proof of UFOs, watch some of the videos the government itself has released on the unidentified flying objects that were intercepted by a squadron of American jets. And you can see the film. It's on the Internet. And the government admits the video is real. And they also admit that they don't know what they are. So... There you go. <laughs> yeah, that, you know that's a great point, and I did want to get into that. Um, you know, we're talking about I think you know the Tic Tac incident or the Tic Tac UFO incident. It seemed as though the the U.S. government and the U.S. military was kind of dragged along, kicking and screaming, uh, having to uh, ad- make some admissions that they probably were a little hesitant to do. But I guess kudos to them for making the admissions at all. I don't think they were hesitant. When they don't want to admit something, they just stonewall no matter what. And with those videos, they came out on the uh, Internet, right. and the government could simply have said they were fake. They're not ours. But they didn't. They, they took them a few months, but they finally admitted they're real. And uh, they also talked to the um, naval uh, jet commander who uh, intercepted the thing, and he gave his evidence. And 
I don't know. To me, it's pretty conclusive. There's something up there that we can't account for, or the government wouldn't be spending the kind of millions it's spending to try to find out. Well, there's no question if you watch those videos, those objects behave in ways that uh, defy what our understanding of uh, science and technology is for certain. Um, the the military first admitted these videos were legitimate and that they were unidentified craft of some co- kind. They didn't say they were extraterrestrial. They said they were unidentified. Um, and, you know, they've continued to creep, creep forward here with more admissions and more um, acknowledgments. Do you think we're around the corner from a major uh, admission from whether it's the government itself or one of the branches of the military? Well, what I think is happening is we're getting a soft disclosure. It's not going to be a hard one. They're not going to just come out and say, yes, UFOs exist, aliens exist. They're leaking it to us bit by bit over time. And it's, I think it's so that they don't cause alarm or panic. But uh, we've come a long way since the 50s when Project Blue Book said it, nothing like that has come of it. It doesn't exist. Then all of a sudden they're saying, yes, there are UFOs. We don't know where they're from or what they are. And slowly we're getting closer and closer to the truth. People will accept things in small doses. I can accept, and I think you can too, the idea of UFOs as being unidentified objects and we don't know where they're from. Eventually we might find out where they're from, and eventually we might find out the consequences of why they're here. They may be good or they may be bad. Uh, To me, the government seems to be getting ready to slowly disclose this in a very soft sort of way. Talk about governments for a second when it relates to this issue. We always we always look at what the United States government is willing to admit or acknowledge, uh, but there are governments all over the world, and I can't imagine, with the exception of maybe some third world governments, and I don't know why they would be exclude, excluded, but I'll just give the the larger countries and the more uh, sophisticated governments the benefit of the doubt for a minute here. It seems more than the United States should have information about this. Why have none of them? really given any kind of significant disclosure? Oh, but they have. England has disclosed quite a bit, and yet still has a lot that's quite um, secret. Uh, France has. It even came out with a report saying that UFOs exist, and they didn't want to say any more about it. Uh, Belgium gave away its um, copies of its videos from its jets and its uh, control tower radar. Brazil, for a long time, was doing it, and then instantly clamped down and made it uh, top secret as well. For some reason, when they start finding out that this might be real, the governments then do it in a pout face and shut up. But it's Soviet Union as well, when it was the Soviet Union and now Russia. There is no doubt in my mind that more than one government is involved, and there's no doubt in my mind that they are probably competing over this. Competing? But are they also colluding? Well, I think the collusion is just a natural um, outgrowth of the situation. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't want to divulge what they know or what they would like to get to know, so they simply don't talk. And you have enough governments doing it, it comes across as a sort of collusion. I don't think it really is. I think it's just each government acting in its own best interest. So you don't think there is some type of organization among the United States and these other nations that have gotten together, discussed these ideas, and agreed what can be talked about and what can't be? I think there's a little evidence for that in some reports that I've read, but mostly I think, no, there's too much international competition for control. He who controls UFOs or access to them probably controls technology. 
And you have to admit, our technology in the last 50 years has just skyrocketed. Yeah. That was going to to be my next question. Do you think that we have either reverse-engineered some alien technology or have traded with alien uh, races for technology freely? I think we've sort of traded with them, and we might have reverse-engineered some of it. But I think mostly it's what they've been willing to divulge to us. And I think we're paying a price for that. Well, how so? Well... I think the UFOs are, or aliens or whatever you want to call them uh, are having uh, free reign over the population of Earth and doing with them what they want to. And in return, the governments are keeping silent about it in return for some information. But, um, and I don't think it's a good deal, but what can you do? So what types of things are they doing? Are you referring to things like abductions? And also permanent disappearances. Mm -hmm. In the United States alone, over 60,000 people a year disappear permanently. This does not include murders, people who kidnapped other spouses' children, or people wanted to start a new life and change their name and just try to, you know, disappear off the face of the earth. These are actual permanent disappearances under unusual circumstances. And we can't account for this. We don't know why. And it's not just the United States, but also Australia and a lot of other countries. Added up uh, over a couple of million worldwide every year. What's happening to these people? Where are they going? You must have heard of David Pilates' books on um, the missing. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and, and he kind of implies something like that is going on with our national parks. People are alone or isolated. They're the ones disappearing. And this has been going on for a very long time. And we don't know why what the reason would be or what they're doing with these people. Have you worked much with experiencers, with people that have been abducted or had, uh, you know, very close contact with either a craft or an alien uh, being? I've talked to quite a number of people about it. Some people I believe absolutely. Other people I believe that they believe it, but I'm not sure I do. Uh, There's over a million and a half Americans who say they've been abducted. That's an incredible number. So whether or not it's actually happening, you have to consider it as a major social phenomenon. Why is this happening, or why do people believe it's happening to them? I had a friend uh, for years. He was an astronomer in upstate New York, and he is convinced that he was abducted numerous times as a child. And then it stopped when he was about 30 years old. And the way he was talking, I got the feeling he was disappointed. And I said to him, you actually sound like you wanted to continue, that you didn't want it to stop. He said, yeah, Rob, that's how I feel. I said, why? Is it because you felt special and now you don't feel special anymore? And he goes, yeah, that's it. I was unique, or felt I was, mm-hmm. and now I, they no longer care about me. Well, how, what, what does someone like uh, your friend or others that you've spoken to who you believe had genuine experiences, what do they say about those experiences? Do they feel, are they menacing? I mean, your friend missed them for, uh, it sounds like sentimental or emotional reasons. Um, but is that the general consensus from these folks that they actually, it becomes part of who they are? Oh, it definitely does. And I think part of it's the Stockholm Syndrome. You, uh, right. If they're captives, mm-hmm. after a while, you um, have to start changing how you view it. You want to start getting some sense out of it, make it okay. And this is what people with Stockholm Syndrome do. They begin to identify with their kidnappers. And I think a lot of these abductors do as well, or abductees, I should say. But the thing is, these people are being taken against their will, according to them themselves. Mm-hmm. They 
are being taken on board a ship. They are subjected to uh, painful procedures, which we would consider torture, and in some cases actually is torture, apparently. Don't forget all the cattle and uh, sheep and other mutilations of animals. Don't forget that some people have been found with their bodies mutilated beyond belief on the ground as if they'd been dropped there, and no one knows what happened to them or why. There was a case in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, back in the late 80s, early 90s, a man's body was found by a reservoir. He was uh, dead. He was, um, his uh, internal organs had been taken out through tiny holes under his armpits and in his navel. His rectum had been exercised. His, um, uh, I hope I said that right, exercised, or <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I got it wrong. But uh, he also, he had his um, genitals removed, his eyes removed, and part of his jaw was removed. And upon an autopsy, they found that there were no chemicals of any sort in his body, but he had been paralyzed in some way. He had suffered all this while he was alive and aware and conscious. Oh, wow. He just couldn't do anything about it. And uh, you can see the autopsy reports. They're on the Internet now. They were released by the doctor who uh, did the autopsy. Pretty horrible stuff, isn't it? Very horrible stuff. It's very frightening, in fact. Um, so in your estimation, uh, are these visitors uh, that we're talking about here, these aliens that are doing the abducting, are they, are they, are they malicious? Are they nefarious? Um, are they just what we would call, you know, scientifically curious and not necessarily concerned about our feelings about it? Uh, what, what's their demeanor? That's the big question. That's what we don't know. We don't know why they're doing this or what their attitude about it is. We don't know if they have any sense of morality or if they're just amoral creatures. They don't have any idea of good or bad. We don't know if this is for scientific purposes or for some other purpose. If it's an experiment or uh, checking us out, the number of uh, abductions is so high that it's hard to believe that they haven't got all the data they need, and yet it still continues. Right. And this is the big question. We don't know what their motivation is, and that's the scary part. That is the scary part. I mean, that, that makes it very, very frightening. Um, you know, when you've spoken to some of the folks who have had these experiences, uh, how often does it continue for a lifetime for people? Is that the, the more common scenario? No. It uh, usually takes place when they're younger. <clears throat> Excuse me. Younger, and then it sort of fades out when they're about 30 or so, usually. But it's not all their lives. Have you had any uh, time to consider or maybe do research on this idea that some of these abductions are actually an effort to impregnate um, uh, human women with some type of alien hybrid? There's some evidence to show that that might be what's happening, but by the same token, they're just as busy, you know, doing uh, experiments on men as right. well. Right. Again, we just don't know if it really is about that or not. We don't know if they're trying to tailor the human race, genetically speaking, or if they're trying to get something from our genetic code uh, to help themselves, or if we're just delicacies on their menu. Well, Maybe they have a predilection for human eyeballs or something. Hmm. I mean, I'm joking there a yeah, little bit, but yeah. not much. Right. Not much. Right, right. Um, as... as we look at the phenomena itself, whether it's abductions or just UFO sightings. Is it, is it increasing? Is it staying the same? Are they less frequent than they used to be? What's the what's the uh, um, the um, standard here? How, how is it changing? Yes, it is, and it's changing for the worse or for the better, if you like to see them. Uh, it's way up here in 2020, but it's been on a steady rise for about the last eight years worldwide. Really? Is that? 
I mean, the problem is, and I know that every one, every one of these questions when I ask this type of question is uh, there's no real answers, but I'm, you know, you've done a lot of work on this. So I'm hoping you've got some opinions anyway, but um, does increasing frequency mean that something else is about to happen? Well, if you tie it in with the fact that the government is starting to release videos of UFOs, it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a definite correlation there. The UFO sightings are increasing, and suddenly the government's giving out information about UFOs. The government, the part of the government that is actually harboring this information, I, I would have to assume it's it's a very limited part of the government. Would we Would we consider this to be like black ops or shadow government or deep state? Where is this information contained that it doesn't, with any real regularity or, or real detail, uh, get uh, released on deathbed confessions or other ways? No, it doesn't, does it? Um, I think it's deep state. Senator Inouye said there is a shadow government with its own military, its own Navy, and its own Air Force, meaning they had control of our existing Navy and Air Force to some degree and could order things done with it. And uh, so I think it's, if you want to call it deep state or a shadow, I think shadow government is a better name for it. Yeah, it's it's frightening stuff. We're talking tonight with Rob Shelsky. Rob, your website, or where's the best place for people to go to find your books, by the way? Just go to Amazon. My books are in print there and in Kindle format, or they can go to Smashwords and they can get the uh, any other ebook format they want, or they can go to Permuted Press, and or they can even go to um, Simon and Schuster. They also have some of my books. And you've got many about these topics we're talking about tonight. You also have some fiction, I understand. Quite a bit. <clears throat> of course, being involved in this sort of thing, I write a lot of <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> a lot of science fiction, horror, you know that sort of thing, paranormal. And I also even write a couple uh, cozy murder mysteries. Neat. I'm just fascinated by the whole idea of it. And when I get enough research done, I'll write a nonfiction book, but I'll also get the idea of using it in a fiction book to try to sure. illustrate some point. Sure. Yeah, that's a great way to, to make points as well. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, our Twitch channel, and also to the podcast. By the way, we have thousands of downloads of the podcast version of the program every single day. We don't often talk about it because the live program itself you know we've got live listeners and we're considering that uh, more readily but thank you to all the people that listen to this show as a podcast as a download in that fashion it's a tremendous number of you and thank you so much for your support tonight we're talking with rob shelsky we're talking about his work he's written books that include deadly ufos and the disappeared for the moon is hollow and aliens rule the sky darker side of the moon they're watching us mysteries of the mothman time travel invasion so many books to his credit, and we're really honored to have him back on the program. Let's talk a little bit about the Mothman, Rob. This is one of my favorite accounts uh, when we talk about uh, you know paranormal uh, occurrences around the world, but specifically here in the United States. Um, has the Mothman story had any new chapters written about it any time recently? Yeah, just one today, apparently, because I just read about it on the news. Uh, a mothman was sighted at O'Hare uh, International Airport in Chicago. And uh, a woman was walking to her car in the parking lot there. She was an employee at the airport. And as she approached the car, she saw a man standing about 25 feet beyond it with his back to her. He was quite tall, and it looked like he was wearing sort of a heavy fur coat. And as she got to her car, he turned around, and she realized that it wasn't a fur coat at all, but wings. And he was about seven foot tall, and he had glowing red eyes. 
and he took off and flew straight at her, and she screamed and ducked down behind the open door of her car, then she clambered into it. She was so shaken that when she got home, she told her husband, who also worked at O'Hare Airport, and he said there had been several such sightings over the last several months. So this is all brand new, and it's right there in the middle of the city, or not in the middle of the city, but near it. That's really interesting. And this this report that you just uh, told us about happened within the last few days? Apparently, according to the article, it happened like sometime in the last week. Wow. Um, I've heard, you know, when when current or recent Mothman or Mothman-type creature sightings are reported, Chicago seems to have uh, a good share of them. Is there something going on in Chicago that would make this make sense? Uh, absolutely nothing I can think of. They're usually cited in, when there's disasters, like in Russia, when the apartment blocks were blown up in uh, Moscow, they cited Mothman before that happened. Also in Azerbaijan, uh, and of course in um, uh, West Virginia, they're on the border with Ohio, when the bridge collapsed. But they seem to always show up when something bad is going on, and why they're showing up in Chicago doesn't bode well, I would say. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Chicago is having a real problem with crime and, and killings. I don't know if that's considered to be the level of tragedy that would that would uh, explain why we, these sightings might be taking place. But, of course, you're right. It was the Silver Bridge collapsing. Was that 1969? Is that right? Somewhere in there. I'd have to double-check that. I don't yeah. want to give you a wrong number, but it was it was back in the, in the uh, 60s, uh, late 60s. Yeah, and yeah. And that was when the Silver Bridge went down and... Uh, the Mothman had been sighted, and also UFOs had been sighted just a few days before in the same area. Well, that, which yeah. Is intriguing. Yeah, that's this is common, too. That's what I was going to so say. He's been sighted in Cornwall. There they call him the Owl Man, and he, for the last two centuries they've sighted him. And in London, it was the Highgate Vampire, which is really a description of him, not of a vampire. And uh, in Azerbaijan, they've sighted it, and in Russia, they've sighted it. I mean, this isn't just restricted to the United States. That's really interesting, too. And uh, some will will tell you that this is a demonic creature. Some will tell you it's a harbinger or, or, uh, or uh, 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 it's trying to warn us of impending disaster. Um, you know, this it kind of runs the gamut. Do you have an opinion? Well, number one, it's not warning us of disasters because the, the disaster still happens. The uh, problem would seem to be... Uh, that it's there to watch or somehow is attracted to the disasters. Um, are they time travelers? Do they know what's coming and they want to be there to watch it? Um, are they from somewhere else? Are they somehow causing the disasters? I don't know. But they're not trying to warn us. Well, um, that that makes it even a little bit more disturbing, I would say, particularly if they just want to be there to observe uh, that kind of tragedy. That I mean, that <laughs> that is a little disturbing in itself. Well, they were one was supposedly sighted by the Twin Towers just before they went down. Fukushima, uh, the power plant, yeah. when it uh, melted down, one was sighted there. So they're always around these disasters, but they're not stopping them or warning us in any way. Yeah, uh, that, that's a good point, too. It's funny because uh, recently I was uh, surfing through um, channels or programming that was available on demand, and I noticed that the Mothman Prophecies, the film with Richard Gere, uh, had shown up, but I hadn't seen that in a while, and I, I haven't watched it again since I watched it the first time many years ago. Um, I remember that film as being not really true a true representation of what happened in Point Pleasant, but it put the Mothman story on the radar for a lot of people. Yeah, and uh, so 
some of it was true. It was like a condensed version and, and also over-dramatized in some respects. But a lot of it was quite true, according to the author of the book. Uh, not in every detail, and sometimes they uh, combined a character when it was several people, that, uh, different parts of the same experience. But um, it did get in on the radar, and... Uh, but it uh, it's not like it, that was the first sighting of such a thing. It's been sighted before, something very like it. We have this legend of the Thunderbird all over the United States, particularly the East Coast. Nobody seems to know what that is, but it's remarkably similar in uh, appearance to the Mothman. And that's been sighted for several centuries. And um, so this is not new. Uh, the Mothman did bring it to the forefront, but it didn't start the whole thing rolling, if you know what I mean. I want to switch back to the UFO discussion because I forgot to ask you something that I uh, was curious to, as to, to get your thoughts on. Um, two of the higher profile, I would say, abduction uh, cases are the um, Travis Walton case, which was uh, um, popularized in the film and book Fire in the Sky, and then um, also the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. Have you looked at either of those cases with any detail? Yeah, pretty much. And... Um I will say this about the um, Fire in the Sky episode. He now seems to think it was a good thing that they were trying to help him. But again, I think this is the Stockholm Syndrome speaking. When he first came back and talked about it and everything, for a number of years, it was a negative experience for him. Now all of a sudden he somehow transmuted it into something which was maybe good. And this is very common. Um, the, the Hills, they had the same experiment, uh, sorry, experience, and um, nothing good if it came from them. I mean, they did not like the experience at all, and there was some physical evidence to support them. Uh, the husband had a ring of, a circular ring of warts that suddenly appeared on his stomach, that sort of thing. So there was some corroborating evidence for it. And also remember, when they discussed this and talked about it, this was way back in the 60s. So their idea about this was brand new at the time. The whole idea of abduction seemed new to everybody. No one seemed to know about it. And they were quite detailed. And almost every abduction uh, experience since then has followed that same track. I have uh, had uh, Travis Walton on this program um, a few years ago. Uh, and I used to see him on the paranormal discussion circuit quite a bit. I did a lot of those shows myself, and I would see him and talk to him. He seemed to have kind of shied away from um, public uh, appearances for a while, or maybe that was just my perception. Do you know if he is it was starting to withdraw at all? Because maybe, um, maybe he was having these uh, struggles within himself as to whether this was a good experience or bad experience. Yeah, he did withdraw for a while. I'm not sure if that's because his um, show dates kindly ran, kind of ran out at the end there or what happened, but or if he was going through a personal assessment about it all. It's, it's hard to say, really, and I don't want to speak for him since sure. I don't know. Sure. Um, what about implants? We keep hearing this come up. Uh, with more frequency. And I saw a documentary not long ago uh, about a doctor that was uh, working with people that had suspected alien implantation. Um, have you uh, found any of this to be legitimate? Yeah, I actually have, and also a little bit from personal experience. My brother claims missing time, or he did when he was alive. He um, was in the desert with a friend. An object went across the sky, came down not far from them, they thought. This was around midnight, and he said, let's go see if we can find whatever the heck that was. They thought maybe it was a meteorite or something. So they left the campsite to go and find out. 
that's the last thing he remembers. The next thing they know, they were striking camp in the morning. Nor did they talk about it at all, not for years and years and years. Then suddenly it hit my brother, and he called his friend long distance and said, do you remember that incident? And he, the guy said, well, I do now. He said, well, what happened? Didn't we go look for it? And he goes, I don't know. I can't remember. So they have about six hours that they can't account for. And my brother, while showering a couple days later, had something come out of his elbow, which was gray and sort of plastic-like. But at the time, he didn't think much of it and didn't keep it because um, he thought, you know, he's a motorcyclist. He thought maybe he'd fallen and scraped his arm on the ground and something got embedded in his arm. But now, in retrospect, he thought that maybe it was an implant. Wow. Um, Have you worked with any of uh, the folks that have recently shown up whether it's in these documentaries and other places, uh, talking about their implants. I remember uh, there's you know many talking about them in their legs, and and some of these d- these objects have been taken out, and they look like they're small electronic devices, but they haven't they can't seem to identify what they really are. No, they can't. One was taken out of someone's nose, high up in their nose, sinus uh, cavities, and I think it was the same doctor. I, I think it was called Patient Nineteen or That's Eighteen. It's been yep. a while, yep. but um, he, he examined it, and they found out that it seemed to be attached to uh, neurons in the in the body or nerve cells, and it seemed to have bonded to them in particular. And that in itself is strange. Was it getting an energy source from them, or was it somehow controlling the person through those? No one seems to know. But they can't seem to. They did find out there were some unknown elements involved in it. But other than that, they haven't come to any other firm conclusions, at least none that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Mars. We're hearing more and more uh, with SpaceX uh, kind of leading the U.S. effort to um, do anything outside the Earth's orbit. Uh, you know, these companies are talking about uh, commercial flights to Mars. They're talking about colonization of Mars. They're talking about additional exploration of Mars. There's a lot happening here. Uh, do you think within our lifetimes we're going to have a person on Mars? I think we very well could, maybe in the next 10 years or so, but I'm not sure. The Getting to Mars is not nearly as easy as people think it is. You don't just get in a spaceship and fly there. You get radiation doses that would be lethal by the time you got to Mars. They have to figure out some reliable way to shield these people from it. And also, when you get on the surface of Mars, there's lethal radiation there, too. There's almost no Martian atmosphere, or very little, and it doesn't stop the cosmic rays and the solar particles from hitting the planet. So radiation is a really big problem for any astronauts that go to Mars, and we're going to have to lick that somehow. With the information and the new discoveries with the rovers and other uh, technologies that we have, we're starting to learn more and more about uh, the water on Mars and possible uh, life on Mars. What's your opinion on the history of life on Mars? First of all, do you think there's life there now? Secondly, do you think that there was any kind of advanced civilization there at one point that no longer exists or maybe went uh, subterranean? Um, it's possible. I do think there might very well be life on Mars. I think it might only be microbial, but I think it might be there. Good chance, actually. Or at least it was there, and now maybe it's no more. But uh, because we found some pretty stimulating evidence that it might just be that way. But um, as for having a civilization on Mars, it's possible. Uh, I'm not going to rule it out, because there are some odd things about Mars that we can't figure out, even now. And uh, they seem to point in the direction of something 
either native Martians or extraterrestrials that have been there. I'm not sure which. The evidence simply isn't enough or abundant enough in any way to come to any conclusions yet. So but there is one doctor who said that he does think that uh, there were uh, aliens, uh, an alien civilization on Mars and that it was destroyed by a thermonuclear war. And he points to evidence of uh, certain isotopes in the atmosphere of Mars that only come about from nuclear explosions. Thorium is one of them. Hmm. Uh, some would say that uh, life on Earth uh, was actually um, uh, formerly life on Mars that, uh, that migrated here. Any thoughts on that? It's possible. Again, there's a lot of things that are possible. Some are more probable than not. Yeah. But, yeah, that could be the case. If there was a nuclear war on Mars or if they were attacked by someone else, they might have fled to Earth. The only problem is uh, Martians wouldn't live well on Earth. They are not genetically designed to be on this planet. Our gravity would be crushing to them. Our atmosphere would probably be too rich for them. There's a lot of things that would be a problem. By the way, on, on that same subject, there's one doctor who thinks that we come from another planet because human beings seem to have an inordinate number of um, ailments, far more than other animals on the planet. We have bad backs. It's a common neurosis, or uh, I should say condition, that humans seem to have. Almost everyone has a bad back to some degree sooner or later. Yeah. Um, we just uh, don't seem to do well in our own environment, if this is our native environment. And he thinks we might have come from another planet that was lighter. Another thing is human beings can't go out in the sun for more than 20 minutes without burning. Animals on Earth don't suffer that. We do. Why is that? Why can't we take our own sunlight if we evolved on this planet? So that's sort of intriguing as well. It is. What are your thoughts on uh, the effort to communicate uh, by sending, uh, whether it's radio messages or other types of messages aboard, uh, you know, probes, space probes? Uh, some scientists say, and uh, uh, Stephen Hawking was one of them, that we should be very, very careful about letting our presence be known uh, to other races or other parts of the universe. What do you think of that? I think he's absolutely right. I think we're poking a stick at a bear, mm -hmm. and we just don't realize it yet. I think we would be better off to avoid all that sort of thing completely. We don't know what's out there. I do know this. Life on Earth is highly competitive. It's, uh, it either eats or is eaten in turn, and this is on a huge scale. There's no reason to believe it stops at our atmosphere, that other alien races aren't competitive and perhaps not warring. Even human beings war all the time. We don't mind killing each other by the scores at any given moment. So why would we think aliens would be any different? And if you have an alien race out there that wants to dominate, uh, it's not good news if they suddenly become aware of us. And also, just the mere fact that we're a primitive culture by comparison, if they do come here, we would probably be destroyed as a culture as a civilization. We couldn't withstand the impact of such a thing. Look at what happened in the New World when the Old World arrived here. That's right. Uh, it's one thing to send signals out into outer space to let people know we're here. It's another thing to be listening to outer space and uh, hearing evidence of what would be considered some either deliberate or intelligent uh, efforts to send uh, communications in one direction or another and recently we've been hearing more and more about these repeating radio bursts and these signals that do not seem to be natural in origin because of their regularity uh do you see anything there that looks promising to you that we might be able to use as evidence for uh, an intelligent civilization somewhere out in the stars well originally i had hope 
hopes that that might be just what that was. But they have pinned it down. To one one source is from a star. We know that for a fact. And another thing, these are incredibly powerful births. Uh, the energy output is greater than our sun for the brief time that it exists. So if it's another culture and they're sending radio bursts, they must have some tremendous energy source to do it. So uh, I'd like to think it's so, but I'm not sure. The evidence seems to be pointing against it these days. Let's um, take the, uh, the few minutes we have left and let's talk about some of your newer work. You mentioned the new book that, was it released today, you said? or No, it'll be released Friday for pre-order. Friday for pre-order. Immortality, the hypersoul, and the afterlife. Let's talk about what that means. The title alone is very, very intriguing, especially when you throw afterlife in there. What are we talking about in this new book? Well, it's based on the idea that there might be life after death, or at least a form of immortality, based on some scientific principles that we're becoming aware of recently. One is quantum immortality. And that is an intriguing one because it implies that uh, when you die here, you immediately, your consciousness is transferred to an alternate universe where you didn't die. And this is based on the idea of the many worlds theory in quantum physics, which a lot of scientists now believe uh, is true. It's the idea that any time a decision is made, whether an atom splits or doesn't split, a parallel universe branches off at that point where it did just the opposite. And if that's the case, it means that if you're on your deathbed and just at the instant you die, another branch universe um, appears where you didn't. And so this goes on and on. So you could have a form of quantum immortality. There are people who who have a little bit trouble understanding this concept of quantum physics and quantum mechanics, this whole idea of anything with with quantum in front of it. And when I say people, I mean myself. I have a little trouble really grasping it. Help us understand what this science is all about. Well, quantum theory is one of the most tested theories that we have, and uh, we're pretty sure that it, it, it holds. And one of the parts of it is, is that particles seem to have a dual nature. They can act like a wave at the same time that they can act like a particle. It's called superposition. And um, this is intriguing in itself. And we even have level that it might even be on the macro level, our everyday level of trees and houses and stuff that it might happen. And for instance, there's a possibility that you could suddenly appear in, in the vacuum of space or on another planet or on the other side of the universe. A very small probability, but it exists. Given enough time and enough chance, it could happen to you. And we do have some evidence that it has happened to people on occasion. Again, it's very small. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Men Who Stare at Goats, but this guy keeps trying to run through a wall. Well, according to the laws of probability, if he does it long enough and often enough, sooner or later he'll make it. It's just the nature of reality. It's not solid. And the, pr the probability is very low, but it exists. And according to quantum physics, it might well be that all probabilities have to play out. And, if, and that seems to explain the nature of the du uh, dual nature of, of particles. And if this is so, every time something happens one way, it also the probability it happens the other way has to occur too. So that atom can split, but there'll be a parallel universe where it doesn't split. You can die here, but there's a parallel universe where you continued. Now, even though you died here, your consciousness would not be aware of that fact. For you, you didn't die. And for the people in this universe you did, they'd see you lying on your bed, dead. But for you, you, you went on living. And it's a different parallel universe with different things occurring from that point forward. 
This may sound like science fiction, but uh, a lot of theories are based on the idea of, of the many worlds theory, and, and it's not just quantum mechanics. It's also uh, the inflation theory of the universe, string theory, and several others all require the many worlds theory. And just to kind of clarify, one of the points you made in, in that answer, you were talking about men who stare at goats, and one of the one of the, the things they try to do is a man's trying to run through a wall, and you said, given enough chance, uh, enough time, enough chance that eventually, sh- theoretically, should happen. Is that because even an atom, I mean, everything is made of atoms, but atoms are more space than they are particle. So therefore, there's a lot of space in what we would consider to be solid matter. Yes, the uh, atom is 99.99999% vacuum. We are made up of all those atoms, so guess what that means we are? Right. We're the same thing. We're 0.999999% vacuum which means we're we're really less than nothing. If you want to know if a ghost can walk through another ghost, the answer is no, because we can't walk through each other, but we're basically ghosts. Matter seems to be almost an illusion. What little matter there is is made up of particles, which, according to string theory, is actually little loops of energy. So there's really no solidarity at all, and everything that we think is real isn't. And according to quantum physics... There's such a thing as a probability wave, and that's what a particle is. It's like you take a message in a bottle, you drop it in the ocean, and it goes out into the ocean. And all of a sudden, it pops up on on land in one place, and the bottle disappears everywhere else. But until that point, it's a wave spreading out in every direction. That's a probability wave. Probability is where is it it going to turn up, basically. And we know this is pretty much true as far as particles go. So um, it may be that we live in a world that really is nothing but probability waves. Everything that we think is solid and real is just a probability wave at that given instant. Can you take this science or this idea, these concepts, and apply them to time travel? I know you've done work on time travel as well. Yes, I think you can, because in quantum physics, again, there's something called quantum erasure. That's where they change the outcome of an experiment, and it changes the initial cause of the experiment with regard to particles. So we know that time doesn't seem to be a factor. Also, most mathematical equations, actually all of them, are not time contingent. They work just as well forward or backward, and time is not of the essence there. Also, we have evidence that the human consciousness might exist slightly out of whack with time. Studies have been done at a number of universities that show that we can see ahead in time, not see exactly, but feel things coming. And uh, this has been repeated, this experiment, at a number of major universities over and over, and there seems to be no denying it. You have a sensation of something bad coming anywhere from 2 to 10 seconds before it occurs. The average is 5 seconds. And we can't account for this. We don't know why the human mind is capable of doing this or what it serves in a survival uh, aspect in, in the form of evolution, but we seem to have it. So if the human mind can exist out of time to a certain degree, if quantum particles can uh, backtrack in time to change outcomes and everything is made up of those particles, then yeah, time travel could well be possible. As you were putting the book, the new book together and you were considering all of these ideas and researching them, did they push you closer to the idea do these do these ideas uh, reconcile more with an with an intelligent design position or is it the opposite or, or or doesn't it work either way uh i'm not sure i don't believe um well yeah it could be intelligent design uh the simulation theory um 
originally only had about a 30 to 33 percent chance of being true. That's recently, recently been up to 50 percent. So the idea we're in a simulation is now a 50-50 proposition in itself. So that would be considered intelligent design. Um, the idea that we're all just sort of ghosts in a probability wave universe, uh, just seeing reality a certain way, and our minds are not really necessarily forced to stay in our bodies as such. Uh, scientists just recently, in the last couple of weeks, a couple have promoted the idea that the human consciousness is a product of neurons. It could, they create an, a field of energy of some sort, and that's the human consciousness. Now, that's all well and good, even if it's true, but it doesn't explain what consciousness is, why we have it, and why we can contemplate the universe. That in itself is a very strange thing, but we can. And no one can explain that, and I don't know if they ever will be able to. You know, I don't know how you um, can so eloquently just explain and answer these questions and describe these concepts. My head would explode, and, and it almost does trying to consider all this, because this, you know, these ideas are really uh, revolutionary in the way we look at humanity, we look at uh, at. Uh, Obviously, as, as your book indicates, the afterlife, what, what our soul might be or what it isn't, um, if, if, as we move closer and as we go down this road, we are redefining everything that we thought we knew. Yes, absolutely. And I'm not sure if it's going to be for the good or the bad. Uh, I mean, do we survive death? There's a good chance we might. There's also a chance we might not. I hate the idea of just being extinguished at the moment of death. But... Um, you can't help it if that's the way it is. But also, if we're living in the simulation, what are we? We have a consciousness, but are, are we just people playing the game and made to forget while we're playing the game that we're really somewhere else doing something else to make the game more real to us? That's another question. You might wake up when you die and you're in some office alcove uh, in some building somewhere <laughs> in another reality. I mean, we just don't know at this point. We do know that there's a 50-50 probability that we live in a simulation. We do know that there are probably more than one universe and uh, many worlds. And also, there's another thing. If our universe is infinite, and scientists really kind of think it is at this point, because the curvature of space is flat. And if it's flat, that means the universe is infinite. It goes on forever. And they haven't found any suggestion it is curved. Well, if that's the case, eventually the universe has to repeat itself as it spreads. You uh, have only so many particles, and they can, they're like building blocks, Lego blocks, and they can only be put together so many ways. Now, it's a fantastically big number of ways they can be put together, but there is a finite limit. So given enough time and enough replication of space as it, as it expands, our universe, as we right here, right now, would have to repeat itself right down to you as you are right now. So you might not exist yet, but you might exist 10 trillion years from now, just as you are now. So what does that mean for ourselves as consciousness and individuals? It's, it's hard to pin that one down. Also, immortality. What constitutes immortality? A lot of people think, well, I just want to live forever. That's immortality. Other people say, well, if you reincarnate, that's immortality. But it's a different kind of immortality because you don't remember your past lives. So for you, it's a whole new life, unattached to anything that came before. But it is immortality if your soul doesn't die. So that's another type of immortality. What if you exist right now somewhere trillions of light years away in space and another Earth that was formed exactly like ours, and you're exactly like you? Are you connected somehow? Are you in some way on some level uh, joined together, or are you not? Or are there two yous that are 
identical. Again, we have the same problem. It's just uh, almost mind-boggling to try to figure it all out. Not almost. It is mind-boggling completely. Um, I don't know if this brings the, the this idea and the UFO idea together at all, or the alien idea together at all, but some folks... Um, theorize that UFOs or alien phenomena are actually interdimensional, not necessarily extraterrestrial. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a, probably a 50-50 proposition. Um, I think they could be from the future. That's another one. There's three major sources of UFOs. One is extraterrestrials, the other is interdimensional, and the other one is time travel. We simply don't know which one is the real one. So right now the, it's open. I'd say it's about a 30% chance for each one of them being true. You uh, recently spent some time with the Travel Channel uh, working on a UFO project. Is that something that people will be able to see? Well, I hope so. It's been delayed because of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, but it was for the Travel Channel, and it was um, by Carga 7 Studios. And uh, I was the on-camera expert for it, and basically what I had to talk about was UFOs, do they exist, and what's the evidence for them? What about stuff happening at the space station? But I'd like to see it on air, although I would cringe at the idea of seeing myself on camera. <laughs> I think we all, <laughs> we all do that, Rob. We all do. Um, okay, so the new book will be uh, released for pre-order on Friday, you said? Yes, it will be, through Amazon. And your other books are all available on Amazon as well, and you listed a few other sources, too. Yeah, Permuted Press, Simon Schuster, uh, Smashwords, Barnes & Noble. That's great. So you, you can get it pretty much. Just just Google Shelsky or go to Amazon and type in Shelsky and all my books will come up. Well, it's terrific, and I, I really appreciate you coming back on the program. It's always a fantastic and interesting discussion. You're, you're a wealth of knowledge, and I applaud you for the amount of work you've done and your your um, willingness to do it for those of us who uh, who are looking for answers, because you provide a lot of them. Well, I want those same answers. That's why I do it. But thank you very much, and I do enjoy being on your show. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.